Thank you for listening. This is Israel Rebound, a podcast joining listeners in Nebraska and other places to Israel, exploring the ties that bind us through culture, identity, and current events. I'm Liz Feldstern in Jerusalem, and I'm joined by my co-host, Alan Podash in California. Alan, how are you? Liz, I'm great. Today's going to be a full uh, podcast. We have a lot to talk about. The elections in Israel were on Tuesday, November the 1st, and uh, you and I haven't had a chance to talk yet since then, and it's been kind of the the pinnacle of our podcast is to talk about the elections and coalition building and all the nuts and bolts that go into it. So I, can I just start with you and ask you the question, how, what's it like and what's the takeaway from Tuesday's elections? Sure. I guess if uh, we wanted to make pol- Israeli politics a mainstay of our podcasting uh, content, we picked the right couple of years to be working on it. Gave us much to talk about. Um, although maybe after the results of uh, last week, there'll be a little bit of a slowdown in that. So the election took place. And um, I would say the the results were not shocking in the sense that they were within, you know, the realm of possibility that all the polls were showing. Um, but it's certainly a very different um, parliamentary landscape than kind of what it looked like the last few elections around. And certainly, as we get closer to the next steps in the process, which we'll talk about now, you know, when an actual coalition and and government will be formed, it will look very different than the government that we've had for the past year and a half. So let's kind of do a quick review. It takes mm-hmm. 120 seats to for, to fill the government. You need at least 61 seats to have that government. And it's typically done by building a coalition. And when you reference the the podcast that we've been talking about for the past couple of years, we really have been motivated by the development of the coalitions that, it, that existed in the previous government between Naftali Bennett and Yair Lapid and the kind of a centrist government. Uh, what I'm taking away from the recent elections, it's, a, it's shifting a little bit farther to the right. And with Prime Minister... Uh, former Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu leading his party of Likud into this next formation of the government with Yair Lapid uh, taking uh, second place in a sense with the number of votes. So now walk us through the process of how Netanyahu or the others move forward in building a coalition. Sure. So uh, this week, um, president Herzog, the president of Israel, will begin having consultations with each of the parties that received seats in the Knesset. And he will be asking them who, in their opinion, is likely to be able to form a coalition. Now, in some uh, years after the election, this is a real conversation, particularly the last time around. There was a real need for Ruby Rivlin at the time, President Rivlin, to um, speak with the parties and really understand what they were thinking and 
who they felt could possibly form a coalition because it wasn't clear that there was any coalition to be formed at all. In this case, it is much more of a formality because it seems quite obvious that Benjamin Netanyahu has the largest party with 32 seats for Likud. And there are three other sizable parties that are, you know, aligned with his politics, um, some of whom he's been in coalitions with before, and that it, it will just make sense for that block to come together. It will be uh, what by Israeli standards is considered a fairly large and stable coalition because it's made of, you know, one sort of largest, largest party, and then three other sizable parties. Sometimes you have governments where you wind up, like we, we've talked about before, where you have somebody who's the quote unquote kingmaker, right? You have a, a party with just a small number of seats, but they are essential to the coalition passing that 61. And in this case, we don't have that. So it's considered, you know, what presumably will be a, a relatively stable coalition. Well, your reference is pretty clear because now it's four parties. In the previous coalition, it was eight parties. And mm-hmm. each one of those, you know, numbers was was a fragile piece, which at the end, you know, collapsed the government because, you know, one party that had six seats or four seats said, we're walking away. And so no longer did they have a majority. So this time you think that because of the parties, the four parties that you referenced, the Kud, uh, the religious Zionist, Shas, and United Torah Judaism, they're more aligned in certain philosophical matters as how the country should be run? Or do you think there still needs to be some arm twisting to get people to align themselves to really form a government and do something? Well, so the arm twisting that you reference is a good reference, and it's the sort of the next step in the process, right? So the what's coming up next will be President Herzog having these consultations and then him charging some particular party head with forming a, forming a coalition. So presumably a week from now, he's going to ask Netanyahu to form a coalition. Netanyahu will have um, time to do that. I have 30 days, I think it's 30 days to you know, have conversations with the parties that are, as you said, sort of politically and ideologically closest to him. That's who usually sits in coalition together and to convince them to to join his coalition. So how does he convince them? Right. What are the the carrots that he gets to hold out? These are um, ministerial positions. So being the minister of finance, being the minister of health, being the minister of justice, being the minister of transportation, right? All of these public ministries are um, up for grabs. And then there are other types of portfolios and um, positions that can be given to people that aren't even part of the Knesset, but can be given some some role. Uh, You can actually, you can be a minister without a portfolio. So you can be a minister of something not clear. I don't know how that works exactly. So there are all these different carrots that he will offer to these other parties to get them to agree to be in his coalition. 
the interesting part or the politically savvy part, I guess, comes in when you have, you know, two people maybe that both have their heart set on the same ministry because they consider it to be more prestigious or it's what they want to have on their resume or I don't know what. Um, And so Netanyahu will have to do those negotiations of getting, finding some version of, you know, plugging in the puzzle pieces where everybody agrees to what they've been given. I imagine, since this is not by any means his first time doing it, that he already has, you know, some tricks up his sleeve for how to do these negotiations and how to make sure that he gets what he wants. So so the time period that you referenced, roughly the 30 days or such, he's really meeting with people who want, want a certain position in the government. So a minister position. Exactly. And I would guess that most of those positions come with certain power or clout that they want to have if they helped him become prime minister. So, and then this is kind of a, a trivia question. Maybe it's not really a trivia question, but are there people from the current government that are ministers? Would any of them be um, welcomed in to be a minister in the new government? Or ideologically, they're too far apart to even be considered as part of the 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 new coalition. For example, maybe the minister of of health or the minister of regional cooperation or you know one of these lower level ministers would they be transferring their skills over to the new government? So I do think that once you know Netanyahu has divvied up the ministries to the people that want to be in his coalition and want the various ministries positions that are still open can and and will be filled by members of the opposition. Um, yes, that's definitely something that is likely to happen. Um, the You had asked about, you know, whether the fact that either are the are these parties that are likely to join the coalition, um, closely ideologically aligned with Netanyahu and the Likud, and does that mean that it will be easier for him to govern? Um, I would say that that's not necessarily true, the second part of it at least. right? They are all to they're all in alignment with Likud or to the right of it. But um, that does not mean that they will agree on all issues. And it will be very interesting to see what happens, for example, with some of the um, religious issues that the last government, you know, took a slightly more progressive stance and tried to implement some changes. We talked about with Kashru, we talked about laws governing uh, marriage and conversion and different topics that they were trying to to broach and and see where there was room for flexibility. I am um, this government is not likely to be interested in those things, and in fact, we'll probably roll back or attempt to roll back some of the things that were done under the previous government. Um, and it's and it won't be because it won't necessarily be because those are things that Likud would want to do, but. It's part of the bargaining of what they'll agree to to keep the coalition together. So his- historically, 
uh, Bibi Netanyahu has had a strong relationship with uh, American political leaders and American Jewish leaders. Uh, do you and see Republican that? American leaders in particular? <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you see that continuing? I mean, the tension that can exist between a farther right of center government versus a coalition that was a centrist coalition really strength, tried to strengthen that American Jewish as well as American Republican and Democratic leadership to align themselves closer to Israel. You know, Bibi has felt very comfortable in America. Do you see that continuing? And will he bring along some of the other partners of his that might not be so welcomed in the uh, global sphere of of, uh, the diaspora? So, I mean, I think Netanyahu does feel very comfortable in America and he will continue to feel very comfortable in America. what exactly that looks like may change, you know, two years from now when you have your own presidential election. Um, I, I, I do know that I've seen a couple of articles, people trying to already sort of stir the pot and say that President Biden has taken too long to call Netanyahu and congratulate him on his win. And I think that that's probably reading a bit too much into it to say that this, you know, bodes disaster and that the U.S.-Israel relations aren't going to be strong. Um, I think it's a little too soon to tell. I mean, there are a lot of factors involved in that. It depends on what particular issues come up. It's not that, you know, President Biden and a perhaps soon-to-be prime minister, again, Netanyahu, are diametrically opposed on every issue, right? There there are things that could come up where it won't be difficult for them to work together, and there will be other issues that could come up which would be more uh, divisive. But outside of that, you know, one particular U.S. political office, Netanyahu has many other uh, friends and allies in high offices in the United States, and he'll continue his relationships with them, I'm sure. So I, I have two more questions, and then I'll, we'll get into some other things, because I know that over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk a lot about the evolution of this new government. Uh, my first question to you is, uh, any surprises that you have seen out of this election? Anything that really startles you or takes you aback? Um, I would say. Only that it, it shouldn't be surprising because it's not the first time it's happened, but it's still surprising, like how quickly the one, how quickly the numbers can change, right? How quickly a party can go from being a sizable party to not even making it into the Knesset. Um, and two, I think the infighting. Um, is also a little bit surprising. I mean, there have been a lot of accusations flying around uh, between the different parties and candidates that are more left-leaning of what exactly went wrong. Whose fault is it, right, that this is how the votes turned out? Um, And it, it... it is a little bit unusual, but I guess it's also the fallout of having been 
in power, being part of the coalition for what wound up being a pretty short amount of time, and then having to feel the sting again, because they were before that for quite a long time, of what it's like to be in the opposition. I I hope that it will be short-lived and then we will wind up with a functional opposition because in Israel, the opposition does have an important role to play. Um, Even when you are not the part of the ruling coalition, the the voice of the opposition is, is an important one and it's part of how Israeli democracy works. So... I hope and, that they will get to do that. And we and we saw the strength of the opposition towards the previous government, how it really dismantled quite a few of the laws and challenges they had before them. But it also brought out the the discomfort that many of the uh, leaders had with each other over certain issues. I mean, we can talk about the those people, Ayelet Shaked and Yidid Selman, if we wanted to, but that and some other people, but those were kind of the challenges that the previous coalition had to keep its power. What My final question on this issue, and then we'll move on, is the role that the co- previous coalition had in bringing um, more of the uh, Arab leaders into an active role in the government, primarily uh, Mansour Abbas with his Ram party. We could talk, kind of talked about him last time as being kind of a kingmaker because he helped bridge that coalition. Uh, what's going to happen to him? I know you, I know you can predict the future so <laughs> I am um, look it is uh, I imagine hard enough being a a minority b a minority that feels to a large extent disenfranchised and like one doesn't have a voice and to then have, I guess, sort of like what I said about the opposition in general, right? But the now opposition, but to feel like you have a voice for a little while um, and then to go back sort of into obscurity is not easy. Um, And not only are the Arab parties now not part of coalition, they don't have anyone who is in the coalition, who has any interest in being their voice. I mean, I'm speaking about the coalition as though it's a foregone conclusion because it sort of is, but I am. And that, I don't know. I mean, that is a hard, that is a hard place to be in for, for, for the Arab community. I, I, I'm very challenged and and, um, troubled by that shift uh, because there was you know so much optimism around having uh Mansur Abbas and the Ram party in the coalition it really shared a positive look at Israel's future uh we're going to say that's going to be put on hold for now but we'll see what happens within the opposition government um how things move forward um just want to make one quick comment about you know the surprises that I saw and that was that uh, one of the left-leaning parties, Merits, didn't even make it into the government. So, or into- yeah, I don't know when the last time that happened was. We'd have no. to look up. I mean, they're, in my recollection, always, you know, with some number of seats in the Knesset. So that is pretty historic. Right. So we'll keep an eye on that. Um, I have one. You know, we're we've, we're coming to the close of our time, but today the New York Marathon took place. And I quickly read that 
an Israeli took an Israeli woman took second place uh, in the marathon. I think that's an incredible statement. Any thoughts on that? Uh, you know, yay for Israeli women. We're there tearing it up, doing all kinds of uh, things. And uh, and it's nice to see Israel, you know, making news for something other than politics and security issues. We'll take a New York Marathon second place. I, I bring it up only because we tried to t- talk a little bit about sports and culture on our pack on our podcast, not solely focusing on on politics and current events. And I'll just close by saying that this week I had the opportunity to see the Israel Philharmonic here in uh, Palm Desert, Palm Springs, and it was probably one of the most moving um, concerts I've been in in a long time. Not only do they start by playing the Star Spangled Banner, but they also play Hatikva as they open the concert. Uh, but the conductor is a young individual, uh, I should say young, he's probably in his 30s, um, but uh, he's yeah. new, He's a new conductor. And just he was very, very animated and very enjoyable to watch. And the selection that he chose was by uh, Paul Ben Chaim, uh, an early Israeli composer. Uh, I recommend people look him up. It was an amazing concert. Uh, but just want to close on that point. Um, anything you want to close on? Um, you're definitely bringing in the the sports and culture and politics. I think you've hit all of the hit all the things. But you, that's you, it. Nothing else to say this week. No new. I'm no trying new. to think something food because that's we usually true. also say something about food. But uh, um, you should always have a little food in your back pocket. I usually have food in in my back pocket, but it's not always interesting to talk about. It's you know, it just my last it. resort snack. <laughs> well, on that, then I want to thank everybody for listening to Israel Rebound. It's a podcast bridging communities together from the Midwest, California, and Israel to learn about each other and about topics primarily of interest that takes place in Israel. Uh, again, I'm Alan Padish in California, and. My co-host and friend, Liz Felstrin in Jerusalem. Liz, thank you very much for informing us today. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, everybody.